Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Boring app of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the On Air podcast. We took a short break due to various life things that were going on, but we are back with a bang. Um, and before we get into our episode this week, you know, we've been getting some messages and things from people over the last um, couple of weeks since we did our last episode. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I think when we did our last episode, which was all about like the phone hacking scandal, I was thinking to myself, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. Uh, we're really not on the pulse of what's going on in the world at the moment. You know, it was a good episode, I think, to still listen to it, but it wasn't exactly on the pulse. But one of the big things we talked about was like how it's hard to have sympathy for rich people. And weirdly enough, we had this whole Titanic thing that was going on. And I got messages from people kind of being like, it's funny that you spoke about that because this Titanic thing's happened and a lot of people don't have a lot of sympathy for rich people. Um, So, yeah, actually, it's not quite as impressive as when we predicted the Queen's death. But I do think that we have our finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world much more than we think we do. So there you go. We're just really good at accidentally predicting significant global events. (laughs) <laughs> coming up in the future so if you ever listen to one of our episodes and like bit of an odd time to do that just wait it's gonna be topical anytime soon it, it really we're like you know how people say that the simpsons predicted the future we're we're the simpsons of podcasting yeah we are we are the simpsons <laughs> of the podcast well <laughs> um, but anyway i just wanted to mention that so but for this week we did have a uh, state visit from the netherlands to belgium and in typical on-air podcast style, we are not going to talk about that same visit. <laughs> um, but we are going to use it as a jumping off point um, to talk for our topic today. Um, and so I think Queen Maxima of the Netherlands and Queen Matilde of Belgium are Bezzy mates, best friends, uh, BFFs, whatever you want to call them. And there were some moments throughout the tour where they were kind of like, you know, off in a corner chatting with each other or big smiles and big hugs when they saw each other and wearing the same designers and all these kinds of things that were kind of everybody watching was like, oh, look at their best friends, look at these two. And so we both thought it would be a good idea to do an episode kind of looking at royal friendships, royal relationships, where they come from, does it matter whether or not they're friends? that kind of thing so yeah we're not going to be talking about what actually happened but we are using it as our inspiration yeah we do that a lot we're like what happened this week what can we talk about that's vaguely linked (laughs) yeah yeah so I think um to start off with uh it's probably a good idea to talk about like where do best friendships between royals come from yeah so I think I kind of divided it into two areas of where these friendships come from and one is sort of historic history and culture broadly, um, which we'll get into. And then the other one is kind of more organic, natural relationships. So to start off with the kind of history and culture and things, I've got a whole bit, which is about, which is really nothing to do with royals at all. And it's just about the development (laughs) of language. Um, So it applies to all human beings. Um, Go for it. If you look at kind of overarching language families, you know, we share a lot of our similarity for our language with like Swedish and things like that. So there tends to be like these overarching language families and then little branches that diverge from each of these. And they became as human beings spread out and went to different places and, you know, became 
uh, their own sort of communities and broke away from other people, things became more localized and more uh, diversified. So you would start to develop phrases and languages that only people in that immediate area spoke. Um, and so that's why it's easier to learn some languages than others because they're more closely connected. So people keep telling me it's apparently really easy to learn Swedish if you speak English because they're so similar. Um, I'm not finding that. <laughs> But it is probably easier than if I was trying to learn Japanese. And I think areas that are closer geographically end up with more closely related languages. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning that, because obviously that's nothing to do with royals at all. But the reason that I'm mentioning it is that I know that like most royals in the world can speak English nowadays. Uh, and there's also, you know, a lot of French, German, Spanish. Those are languages that crop up time and time again. But I think for, just from my experience of learning Swedish, I get so frustrated. I mean, I only talk to my cat because I don't know anyone else. <laughs> but I get so frustrated because I know how I would say something in English and I know that it would be really interesting. Um, but when I'm trying to say it in Swedish, I don't have the vocabulary. So I feel like a frustrated toddler um, trying to get my words out, but I can't do it. It kind of it reminds me of there's a line in Modern Family um, where the character Gloria, whose first language is Spanish, and she, her accent and her mistakes in English are a butt of the joke in a lot of episodes. And then she says something in one of the episodes about like, you have no idea how smart I am in Spanish. And it kind of reminded me of that, of like, obviously they all kind of can speak to each other in English nowadays, but there, there, there is some kind of connection where if you can speak to somebody in your native language and make yourself understood, I feel like it's easier to get along with them. And that's, that, I mean, so many of my friends are native Spanish speakers. Um, it's not that you can't be friends with people who don't speak the same language as you, but I do just think that, you know, you can express yourself in the way that you want to. You don't have to think about like how, that extra step of how do I translate something? So I think in a lot of the royal friendships that we see even today, if people are, have a shared first language or uh, can make themselves understood in their native language, that does make it just automatically a bit easier to be friends with each other. Yeah, I did a lot of um, research into how like languages work and how people can like understand other languages. My friend is Venezuelan um, and obviously she's lived here since she was six. And when we were at secondary school, we were doing Spanish as our GCSE and she was like, well, I can speak Spanish. So she did like French and Italian and something else just casually by herself. And she found it really easy. And I was like, how on earth? can you do that and it's like it's obviously she's a natural language she's very good at languages but also you know there's so many similarities between Spanish and Italian because they're both Latin languages and you know there's enough similarities between Spanish Italian and you know mixed to link it with and English to link it with French and it's like having those kind of it's all it all kind of exists in a almost like a continuum and if the languages have kind of similar roots you can kind of understand and even I can find it sometimes like you know particularly if I'm reading another language not all of them but sometimes you can read something in Spanish or Swedish and you might not know exactly what it says but you have enough understanding to pick out the yes, gist of it yeah, yeah. Like, oh this is about these two people buying something at a shop and you might not know every sort of essence but you can get the gist of it and obviously countries where they are so much more you know closely linked and geographically linked that language is far more interconnected than you know English and any other language uh it's just a natural consequence of the way that human beings develop that they kind of we develop communities and the more sim the more similar you are to 
other members of that community of, of a community the more likely you are to get on with each other it doesn't mean you can't get on with people who are from a different community from you but it's just kind of human nature uh, so the development of language i think also closely relates to the development of sort of human history so um i think about borders for example and i think borders are human constructs we decide that this is the border of a particular country and this means something um, they're not things that exist in nature and so because of that the countries that we have today i mean this is an obvious statement but the countries that we have today are not the countries that existed 200 years ago 500 years ago a thousand years ago you know that's just how human history has worked tribes merged empires came out and then fell wars were won and lost and territories were shifted through through that and um so i think that means that a lot of modern day countries or sovereign states were once actually part of another country that also has a monarchy or and now they're distinct countries but they used to be one country or maybe they weren't formally one country but they kind of had the same monarch for a, a period of time which means that they have kind of this shared history that we maybe today we especially if you're not from that country you don't necessarily realize it but you know a few hundred years ago for a long time these two places were actually the same country because human borders have changed yeah and i think you know we can sort of extend that through into today in a way like the the countries that are the closer political allies um are going to be the countries that are possibly closer because they you know they're political allies for a reason they're countries that have similar interests have the same thing in common you know have the same um i don't know like approaches to life and yeah. what they want and if you think of monarchies as like an extension of what the country wants an extension of the public mood of course they're going to represent you know all these countries are going to represent the same thing and you know it links really well with languages as well because if you went back hundreds of years ago, when, you know, if you were in Sweden and you were a fishmonger and you caught some fish and you needed to trade with your neighbour in Denmark, you needed to be able to understand the Denmark fish buyer so you could get, you know, a fair price. You couldn't just be like, oh, this, and they go, I don't know what that is. You had to be able to make yourself understood. And I think, you know, those kind of political bonds and language bonds have, you know, stretched sort of from history to today and even though they do present in different ways they're still very prevalent for sure i think um this is where i thought of the example of the kalmar union um which was the it's the main one that i think about in terms of, of these sort of historical connections between monarchies so uh in the 14th century queen margaret of denmark i'm i think she would be margreta in danish but i'm going to call her margaret just to differentiate her from the current queen margreta because that'll get very confusing um, so Queen Margaret, she was Queen of Denmark by blood, and she was Queen of Norway and Sweden by marriage. And lots of things happened. Um, I don't need to really necessarily get into all of that, but her husband died and her son died. And so eventually it was agreed that she would just be Queen of all three of those nations in her own right. And that's what's called a personal union. Um, and so a personal union is essentially where the countries remain separate and their own countries. Uh, but they have a shared monarch and so for a long time scotland and england were an example of a personal union before we became you know great britain and then the united kingdom um and so yeah she was queen norway sweden and denmark were all their own countries but she was queen of all of them and that continued for over a century until sweden declared independence but the union between norway and denmark continued until the early 19th century so that was a really long time that they were they had a shared monarch and so during that time even during the century that sweden was part of it 
there will have been, I think, a natural cultural exchange that goes above and beyond the normal kind of exchange that you get just from being neighbors with each other. Like, if you think about it, I'm sure that they look at things differently. I'm just thinking about like my education as a Scottish person and what I learned about Scottish and English history versus what an English person might learn if they learn anything. <laughs> Um, you know, there's probably a different angle on it. But if you think about like the history textbooks that they get in those three countries, there's going to be a very substantial period of time where they're talking about the same people because they had the same monarch. Um, and I think that's a, that's an important thing as well as the fact that it wasn't just that these countries had unions with each other. It was that they were oftentimes union specifically related to the monarchy so it was margaret queen margaret who drove that and wanted those uh, sort of united scandinavia she was the one who drove that and so it was inherited after her from her members of her family and so in the history books it is going to be royals who are mentioned and i think those those relationships today tend to be stronger if they, the relationship lasted longer in the past or if it was more formalized so i think there are examples of personal unions that don't really impact much today the example i was thinking of was like england and spain um so queen mary mary tudor uh, was married to the king of spain philip and um for a very brief period of time there was kind of a personal union because she was queen of england and he was king of spain and so they kind of they didn't rule together as such but it was kind of you know if they'd had a child together there might have been a situation where they would inherit both thrones kind of thing um and I don't think that has any impact on the modern day relationship between England and Spain because it was just one person's reign and it wasn't really like a formal thing of they shared power across both countries. It was they tried to keep it separate to a degree. Um, so it's not quite the same as like the Kalmar Union, which was this formalized thing that lasted for a very long period of time. And whether it's good history or bad history is, you know, we see over and over again the Swedish royals doing things related to independence. They're celebrating the anniversary of independence this year. And so the relationship between Sweden and the Danish monarchy is something that is very, very important to Swedish culture now. Um, and so I think that automatically means that kind of you're going to see royals going to events where there's two monarchies that both share this important milestone in their history. Um, and so you're going to naturally see them together. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think you're right about the kind of the length of time having a big impact because, you know, the Kalmar Union lasted for such a long time. And even when the Kalmar Union itself didn't last, you know, the three countries being connected, it was often two of them, like Denmark, Norway or Norway, Sweden, you know, and they were interconnecting kind of on and off all the time. And, you know, if we sort of think about later on at the more sort of personal side of things, when you look at the families they are so interconnected because they were they were you know a shared country for such a long time if you were the king of Norway Denmark and you married the queen of Sweden then you've combined them all again um and I think like you said it happened for such a long period it's really hard from you know the 1300s until the 1900s to separate them in a way that it's much easier like you said to do England and Spain like people don't associate England and Spain um, they associate Spain and Portugal. Um, and then I think, you know, you can even see it in some of the more ones that are much more recent, but more political. You can see the same kind of um, connections. Like I was thinking about the Arab states. And obviously there's lots of Arab states and not all of them are monarchies. But the ones who are monarchies, like you, you know, like 
Jordan and Bahrain and Morocco and you know they all speak Arabic there's a lot of a shared understanding and a shared belief of the way of life and approaches to how the countries are governed whether it's a monarchy or republic and then I think even if you get somewhere like I'm going to think because I was thinking about um, Matilda Maxima I thought probably should bring them up uh, like the Benelux nations like Belgium Luxembourg and the Netherlands like they are far more recent they were kind of 1944 like World War II era they were like oh we should be friends they're all very close and the idea of just sort of building that at that moment be like we need to sort of support each other and protect each other and help each other um had it continues and they still do like the Luxembourg um and the they're at the Benelux um union is a real political thing there is a Benelux leader and there are also leaders from the three countries who are separate from that. And, you know, they have, they speak between them, crossover languages. And I think, you know, whenever I think about royals in terms of politics, they are representing the people side, really, of the politics. They're like the humans coming through. And when you have politicians who are so, who have this union that is entrenched in law, the monarchs are going to support that. Yeah, yeah, like, well, like you say, Luxembourg and ne- the Netherlands were in a personal union as well for a while. But yeah, so I, I, I think you're, you're right, like, the, these historical connections can sometimes be more recent than, than and still ongoing. Uh, sometimes they're several centuries ago, but they still have a really important place in modern society. And I think that they're, that area, sort of the historical um, connections, the language connections, it absolutely um, lends itself to royals being more close than they might be to other countries because they have a shared culture, they have a shared language in some cases, they have shared history, so they are going to naturally end up being engagements together. Um, whenever the, are, there are these touch points which brought together multiple countries, the royals tend to be the ones who go and mark them or commemorate them or celebrate them or whatever it is. And so they tend to be the face of a lot of these connections. Um, But I think what we've talked about so far has been very much like connections between nations and the royals are kind of the representatives of that as as royals. That's their job is to essentially represent those, represent what's important to the country, represent the culture and history of of a country. I think Victoria and Carl Gustaf have both talked about seeing their role as being like the guardians of Swedish history. You know, that's one element of it. I think that's also a connection between countries, not specifically between them as individuals. But there are still these other areas where there are connections that are very intimate and personal that um, that I think are important to mention as well. So one of those is family connections. The fact that royals love to marry each other. Yeah, I did a bit of a thing and I maybe went through slightly too many royals and found out their connections to each other in terms of history. Grace spent 24 hours researching every descendant of Queen Victoria and King Christian. I did. I have four pages of notes. I was like, right, I need to find out exactly how these two people are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's very handy. I think so. You can go into that, but I think um, <laughs> the, the, the the main connections is there's two people who are kind of known as like the grandmother of Europe. And what's Christian's? Is he grandfather? He doesn't really have. I think he's the father of Europe. Father of Europe. Why does he get to be father? Victoria's grandmother. Well, I don't know, but I googled it, and Grandmother of Europe has its own Wikipedia page, and there's like six of them, like throughout uh, history, like starting okay. with Eleanor of Aquitaine, working down. So oh. I think that's like a title. But Christian, they were like, oh, we got to call him something. 
which feels slightly misogynistic that the woman is like oh well she's got to be old um <laughs> christian can be eternally youthful uh anyway um so queen victoria of the united kingdom and king christian the ninth of um denmark both had a ton of kids who married loads of people and so their descendants are incredibly prevalent and so that's why they get the nicknames of god uh, the grandmother and um uh father of europe because like everyone is related to them and i'm sure grace knows the facts um i've only got a, a summary but go on hit me with them <laughs> okay so <clears throat> if we just look at like really rough basic stuff like if you go to christian because he was like the more recent one he's so he was the king of denmark his brother was King Hakon of Norway, and his son was obviously grew up to be King Frederick of Denmark, which is actually not a massive initial group, but because of he was actually a sort of linear off ex descendant of Queen Victoria herself, his cousins were George V of the UK, um, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia, Constantine I of Greece, and Queen Maud, who then went on to marry King Hakon of Norway. Um, and that's the ones where they're, they're the ones that were those like identical cousins, like George, Nicholas, Constantine, and Christian. Oh yes, if you beards. look at yeah, they're just four bearded men who look pretty much identical, and then yeah. accidentally slightly started World War One. Yeah. <laughs> a bit, of a, bit of a minor fight there. <laughs> um, but then if you go to Victoria, who um, was like a generation or two before, she had nine children, and then went on to have forty-two grandchildren and eighty-seven great-grandchildren which is a lot. Crikey. Um, and obviously, and I was have, having a great time, and I found out that two different pairs of her grandchildren married each other. Oh. And I was like... Yeah, they do. There's <laughs> a, the undercurrent of a lot of this conversation is that this is borderline incestuous, but we just breeze on past that. Yeah, I like the part on her Wikipedia page where it was like, um, Victoria, you know, spread her descendants around Europe and also haemophilia through yeah. the <laughs> families of Europe. <laughs> like, Thanks, Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's a really interesting thing. Like the most famous case is obviously um, Alexei, the um, heir to the throne of the Russian Empire, because that led to Rasputin. And so he's the most famous example of somebody with haemophilia. It's really interesting to me that we haven't seen more of that. I guess they're marrying commoners and things now, but there was loads of it for ages. Um, haemophilia and porphyria was the other one, which is just like a madness, I think, um, that came from all of this intermarriage. Um, but we haven't really seen a lot of that. And there's no like haemophiliacs that I know of in current royal. And that's really interesting to me. I wonder where that went. Yeah, where's the haemophiliacs gone? <laughs> <laughs> that's the episode title right there. <laughs> <laughs> many children um two of her children went on to become monarchs in their own right so obviously her son became edward the seventh of uk and then she had empress victoria of germany um and then her great-grandchildren were much more widespread so obviously george v of the uk but also um kaiser wilhelm ii of greece uh, of greece wrong country of germany um alexandra of russia Marguerite of Sweden, um, or Margaret of Connaught, as I like to call her, uh, Maud, who we know is the cousin of Christian, um, Sophia of Greece, Maria of Romania, and Victoria Eugenie, or Queen Ina of Spain. Um, and then of the current kind of monarchs and um, monarchies, Harold, Marguerite, 
Felipe and Charles are descended from both Victoria and Christian. And Felipe and Charles are descended twice from them. <laughs> um, Carl Gustav is descended from Victoria twice. Felipe and Henri are descended from Christian. And then William Alexander is not descended from any of them, but they're all descended from King George II of the UK. Um, so, I mean, we've not mentioned Liechtenstein because they don't have friends, but everyone else, or Monaco, but like everyone else. And then I went through each individual monarch and tried to find like their closest living connection. So I did a whole thing. Yeah, I think my notes were just sort of a summary of that, which is between Victoria and Christian, their descendants sit on the throne of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Spain, the UK, Belgium and Luxembourg. So most of the major ones, we don't talk about Liechtenstein, Monaco's an outlier, um, always has been. And then the Netherlands, as you said, there's the descent from George II. So they are related, but just not quite as closely as some others. And, you know, there are very close. Those are sort of like fourth cousins or whatever. There are some really close connections as you, you know, examples given like um, King Constantine of Greece, whose sister is married to the well, what, married to the former king of Spain and was queen of Spain for a long time. The queen of Greece, he was Constantine's wife, Anne-Marie, was a Danish princess and is the sister of the queen of Denmark. So their children and them are very, very closely related. It's not sort of like fourth cousins kind of thing. And I think I, when I was writing my notes on this, you know, obviously they are incredibly closely related. I, but I, I think I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to this. I don't know that the royals are actually friendly with each other because they're sixth cousins. Um, no. Like, I think the closely related ones of like Greece, Denmark and Spain, although Spain doesn't really get on with Greece and Denmark that well, but that's a, we talked about that in our Spanish episode, I think. But, um, you know, I think Greece and Denmark in particular, they're closely related and they are friends. And I think that probably goes towards it. You know, it's their cousins, their first cousins. And most people have some have met their first cousins I suppose <laughs> so I don't actually necessarily think you know I don't know who my sixth cousin is I think we're all sixth cousins if we go back far <laughs> you know we're all related in some way or another so I don't know that actually the family connections do make as much of a difference as we might think that they do but I do think that it is a good hook if you are looking to build relationships anyway so you know we talked a minute ago about the fact that a lot of the stuff that royals do uh, is kind of a relationship between them, but it's also a relationship between their, their countries. And that's why they're going to something together because they have a shared history and a shared culture. And I think if you're going to that event anyway with somebody, it, it, it adds that little extra element if you can say, oh, and also we're related. So I, I like when William and Kate went to Norway and King Harold gave a speech for their visit and he, he did sort of mention in that about how oh you know oh we're related and it was a lovely moment yeah and I think possibly the older royals felt it yes more yeah because yeah. I think you know that and I'm talking like you know the Queen and Philip and Margarita and Harold kind of era of older royals because a they were closer related because they were older but also you know I think if you go back you know 80 years ago 100 years ago those connections were very important so yeah you did know who your fourth cousin was and it would be like oh that's a really big deal whereas now I think through social media and you know having you know much more kind of like non-aristocratic relatives and the families you know a lot of them are married normal human commoner people um there's you know there's less of a need to be like well actually my second cousin was the Duke of Normandy when you can be like ah my cousin is actually a banker and she's really good at it yeah. Um, and I think that's how you get places like where, you know, if you think about Philip was a descendant of the Greek royal family, 
and Charles and Diana were very close to the Greek royal family, but that hasn't extended down to William and Harry being close with the next generation. And I think, you know, some of it's going to be personalities, but I also think there would have been like, oh, we're Greek. I'm ha- like, gr- like Charles is half Greek, you know, <laughs> he is. Um, but for William, he's, he's, you know, a quarter Greek and that's probably not a massive deal to him because he's never really had that connection to it. And I think, you know, you can see the same with some of the other countries as well. Those older connections were there and they probably did have be like, oh, I am distantly related to the Luxembourg uh, Grand Duchy's royal throne and I'm practically a Grand Duke myself yeah but by later on they're like mm, yeah I don't really care I have my own throne <laughs> I don't need another one I think it also with the older generation in particular having these close relationships a lot of it probably comes from the upheaval that happened in the 20th century which um which I think we talked about in our episode on Greece I think that was the one yes. where we talked about it Mr Kensington so if you want to go back and listen to that but um there was a lot of upheaval in the 20th and 19th century generally and so a lot of monarchies were like overthrown or exiled or even just during the war they couldn't stay in their own countries in Europe so they had to go somewhere else and so a lot of the time they did end up like just it, hanging out in London <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, or like they had to go and visit their family somewhere because that was the only place that was safe for them whereas yeah now Nowadays, I think the emphasis is really on like royals connecting with ordinary people um, or their version of ordinary people, which is like the son of a duke instead of the son of a king. Um, You know, that's ordinary to them. So I I think that's the emphasis now of like trying to diversify the pool um, of people. Yeah. And also if you think about the amount of monarchies that fell in the 18th, 19th and 20th centuries, like having another monarch be in your best friend or your cousin is probably yeah, really yeah. helpful just in case someone's going to try and chop your head off. Yeah, <laughs> very, very true. Uh, I think they all learned from the Russians. Um, <laughs> yeah, they saw that and went, besties, we all really like each other. <laughs> yeah, next time we'll let them come over. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. so I think that that's kind of, um, uh, that family relationship, I think is kind of a, a bridge between the first two things we talked about were kind of like relationships between countries that also extend to royals, but are relationships between countries and culture and history. The family relationship, I think, is a bit of both because it is a shared history. It is um, kind of they would have, you know, uh, there are some things that one royal might have brought uh, from their country to, as a tradition. Well, like, like the Christmas tree. Didn't that come from um Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's yeah. husband, he brought a lot of German traditions over. And so we have a lot of German traditions in the UK that came from that era. So that that's something that might happen. Uh, but it also is a personal connection of like, you might be a, somebody's first cousin. So you're going to probably know each other better than you might know somebody who is your sixth cousin or who you're not related to at all. Um, but then we kind of get into things that I think are exclusively personal, which I've called organic relationships, which is such a I'm, phrase. <laughs> Um, friends that's what normal people call it friends <laughs> oh gosh why am I like this <laughs> um while I think everything I've said is accurate obviously um and I think it's part of the picture I do think that it would be very very easy for two monarchies or two royals to not care about the fact that they have a shared history and not care about the fact that they're third cousins um so I actually think it's interesting that you know we've talked a lot about how the Brits are um very closely related to a lot of the monarchies through Queen Victoria and how they kind of took in a lot of monarchies who or royals who had been exiled or whatever. 
but I actually, you know, they don't go to anything. Uh, they, they are very isolated compared to a lot of the other royals, like the Scandinavians are very close, the Benelux are very close. The Brits kind of have their own thing going on. Um, so clearly it's not the case that automatically being related or sharing some sort of history or anything like that means that you're going to be really good friends with each other. Um, I think a certain element of it is just like, as you say, friends, putting in the work because you like somebody. Um, so as part of their job, they're going to be invited to the same things and um, they are going to be expected to try and build connections with each other because part of the job of being a royal is to build connections with other countries. They also share a very unique situation. There's only a certain number of royals in the world. And so it's probably easier to build connections with somebody who you know understands this very unique situation you have. Um, but I think all of that is a lot easier if you genuinely like the person. And that's something that while culture and history and family relationships can help, they are not the be all and end all. Sometimes you just like somebody. Yeah, and I think it was really interesting when I was trying to make this section. And there were a few kind of people that instantly jumped to mind. But when I was trying to think about people that I genuinely thought were like true, honest friends, I was like, actually, it's quite a small group because a lot of it is, you know, you know, obviously a lot of their friendships are behind the scenes, but then also a lot of it is we send these roles together because we know it looks good when, for example, all the Scandinavian heirs are hanging out. Like, I'm sure they have a genuine friendship, but it's, it is, some of it is a PR push to be like, look, the Scandinavian roles are on their way. So I was, I actually found it really hard to come up with a solid list of people that I was like, yeah, they are genuine friends. <laughs> I believe this. I think, um, yeah, the one that's jumped to mind for me, I don't know about you, that I think is a really good example of this is Queen Maxima of the Netherlands and Empress Misako of Japan. Yes. And I think we talked about this in a previous episode as well. I can't remember which one it was. It was one of the early ones um, where we talked about the Japanese royal family a little bit. Um, but Empress Misako had a very difficult time. She had some mental health issues because of the stress and pressure of being a member of the imperial household, which, I mean, being a royal is stressful, but being a member of the imperial household, they have like no control over their own lives. And it's really patriarchal and, and uh, yeah, it's not a pleasant place to be by the sounds of it. And so Masako had a really difficult time. She didn't do engagements at all for a very, very long period of time, several years. And during that time, um, they, Queen Maxima, I don't know exactly the detail of how it happened, but at some point Queen Maxima reached out to, she was Crown Princess at the time, but she reached out to Masako and invited her to come to the Netherlands. And so Masako and her husband and their daughter went to the Netherlands and um, spent some time there. And I think the idea was to kind of let her relax and be away from Japan and kind of be around people who understood the kind of thing that she was going through. And they, they had like a photo call at the beginning with very adorable uh, moments between a little Amalia, Princess Amalia, and uh, Masako's daughter, the little princess of Japan. Um, there were some very sweet moments between them. Um, but we know that they then spent like some time together personally and privately. Um, and Maxima actually is a great example in general because Princess Charlene of Monaco is also very good friends with Maxima, which... A lot of people don't realize, but Charlene said in an interview that like Maxima was the one who called her and reached out to her and tried to, you know, help her offer a helping hand and like was went out of her way to be kind and welcoming to Charlene. Um, and I think there is nothing, there is no connection between the Netherlands and Japan really beyond just, you know, every, you know, every two countries have connections in some way. There's no real like shared history. They don't speak the same language. 
they um, seem on the face of it to be very, very different people. But I think that is a relationship where two people put in the work and clearly like each other. And like you could see when Masako and her husband were um, enthroned and Queen Maxima went over to the Netherlands, there was like the most warm greeting between the two of them. That was a greeting of like genuine good friends, because I think Masako probably appreciates that Maxima did that for her during a really difficult time of her life. So, you know, putting aside family relationships, putting aside shared language, shared history, all of that, putting aside the fact that a lot of this is their job. Sometimes you can just get two people who genuinely seem to build a very natural friendship. And I think that's a really good example. Yeah, I think Maxima, you know, is one of the ones that comes up the most when you think about genuine friendships. And I'm not saying that she's like the nicest royal, but like clearly she is one of the royals that does go out of her way you know, so obviously, I always think it's weird, like, the royals must be really aware of what their counterparts are doing, like, not necessarily in terms of, like, engagements, but in terms of their general life and things like that, just because, like you said, there are very few people who can experience what you're going through, and these are your peers, um, and I think, you know, she clearly does sort of, like, she's obviously reached out to Masako and her, and the sort of the, at that point, the crown prince family of Japan, and Princess Charlene and Albert when they needed it, and I imagine, you know, throughout the years, we'll hear more from other royal families about her doing that as well, because we've only heard it from these two, because they, they're, they were you know, absolutely, yeah. yeah, they was very vocal, it was public, but everyone else has not had the reason to be public about it. Um, yeah, and then the other, <laughs> the other kind of big royal friendship, surprise royal friendship, that jumped to my mind straight away was um, Prince William and Crown Prince Hussein, because I don't, I was adamant that they were not yes. I was like, they like, yeah, it's like, of course they get on. They're both boys around the same age, you know. They're going to get on. They probably like football, um, but they're not friends. Your rule, really just pushing this ahead. There's no friendship here. And then lo and behold, it turns out they're best friends. And, and like, I do not believe they can be that close friendships after meeting each other once. So I'm fairly convinced that they've met other times, possibly when the, uh, then Cambridges went to Jordan for a holiday yeah I imagine yeah. they popped in to say hi but that friendship there is like you said there's not really a link between the UK and Jordan beyond you know gen- general links that are with Jordan, UK and every country and there's certainly no like family links between Queen Victoria and the Jordanian royal family um, and it is it is just two boys that watched football and had a nice time and then became best friends over it <laughs> Very, uh, um, like, five-year-old, isn't it? That's how five-year-olds make friends, I think. Um, yeah, no, I, I, that was another one. I was also trying to, when I was making my notes, I was doing the really important thing of trying to think of what their relationship name would be. Um, I went with Hussian. Hussian. Yeah, I like it. Hussian. Um, Reminds me of Lady Susan Hussey. Yeah, well, I wanted Hussey in there as soon as I realised you could have Hussey in there. I was like, well, it has to be. Because originally I was like, oh, Hillium um, or Willane. But then I was like, oh, no, you can have Hussey in there, so it's got to be Hussey um yeah no so yeah no I think that's a really good example as well like it's possible you know for all I feel like almost we've just kind of been like we've talked to you for however long we've talked to you for and none of that actually matters (laughs) Um, because it's all just about do they like each other (laughs) um but yeah no I think I think what we've kind of explored so far is the fact that like the relationships between the royals there are there are relationships between most royal families um and some of those are closer than others and I think that there are a few different factors as to why that happens one one part um is the kind of relationship between the two countries which is due to 
historical connections and cultural connections and shared languages. And then one is kind of a bit more personal, which is like the fact that they're family and the fact that they maybe just get on with people and have found somebody who they really like. So I think that, you know, the, the question that I asked originally, I think, was where do these best friendships come from? And I think that's what we've kind of tried to do with this section is sort of explain the formal connections between them and the more personal connections between them and why some royal families seem to be closer or seem to visit each other more often or to go to the same things more often. It's because of these sort of two broad elements is what I would say. I think it, it's, it would be foolish to overlook the historical connections yeah, yeah. when you're talking about the relationships between massive political entities. But at the same time, they're also just people and sometimes, you know, where, like, where it's like, you know, you're at a job, there's going to be people we work with that you get on with, but you're not particularly friends with. And then you've got your, your work besties. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, like Maxima and Masako are work besties. You know, yeah. <laughs> they get on really, really well. And I'm sure, you know, Maxima probably gets on with all the other queens and crown princesses out there. But Masako is her bestie. There are certain moments where you can see when there is this real genuine friendship that they don't always necessarily push to the sort of forefront because they don't need to, because they're not promoting anything. They're just being friends. Well, I think that needs, leads us naturally into my next section, which is kind of like, how do we see this best friendship situation manifest publicly? You know, we've kind of hinted at some of this already, but kind of they do, you might see two people doing a lot of engagements together. So I've had a lot of comments this past week from various people in my um, inbox and things being like, oh, but the Dutch and the, the Belgians are always visiting each other. They never stop visiting each other. Why are they? Blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, we've kind of talked, touched on this already a little bit, but I do think it's interesting. Um, you know, there are lots of country royals where they do more work together than they might do with, you know, we, we do see the Belgians and the, the uh, Dutch royals together more than we see the Dutch royals and the British royals, for example, or the, the Belgian royals and the Moroccan royal family. Um, but I think it is still an interesting discussion of like, does that actually mean they, they're friends? Um, because they don't really have much choice. So like the state visit that happened, the if, if, invitations and things might have been officially issued in the name of um, Matilda and Felipe or Philippe, and they might have been you know, all of the engagements might have been held between these two couples who spoke to each other the whole time and whatnot. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are friends. I mean, I do think they are friends. Um, <laughs> but even if they visited each other every single week, if they're doing it on an official level, it's usually something the government has requested or something that is part of their job. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that they are friends. And I think some people get confused between that. So obviously, the example that we mentioned of Hussein, Hussein actually um, is very good friends with William. But the reason that I think a lot of us were like, oh, calm down a little bit, maybe they aren't actually friends, is because people do tend to be like, they went, they, they saw each other twice in one month, they must be best friends. And I don't always think that's true. How much of it is actually a friendship and how much of it is making the best with the people who you work with? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, like, when you see those roles together, I think there's an, especially when you see them getting on, there's a natural sort of sort of thought process, which is, oh, look, they're getting on. I like them both. They do the same job. They must be friends. And like you said, with, with William and Hussein, we were like, they're working though. Like, they can't be like, oh, turning away from each other and like refusing to talk, even if they didn't like each other because they're at their jobs. And part of, you know, I always think with Rose, like they're very good at acting because they have to be on the whole time 
So I do think that's why <laughs> the friendship really just surprised me. I'm never going to be over it, yeah. honestly. No, and look, we're all guilty of doing it to an extent because I'm still convinced that Crown Princess Victoria and Kate Middleton are best friends, Vic Kate, mm-hmm. which trademark, I came up with it. Just reminding everybody, I came up with it. You know, I, I'm as delusional as other people. They probably just get on with each other on an official level because it's part of their job. So yeah, we all do it. I'm not not completely judging people, but I just, I do think that it's it, it's good that they have official relationships with each other, but that doesn't necessarily translate into being a friendship. I do think sometimes you can kind of tell, like there's a particular level of warmth between them. So I'm thinking of like when the Dutch couple went to Sweden and um, Estelle was brought in uh, because she's Willem Alexander, the King of the Netherlands uh, goddaughter. And he had this like massive hug for her. Um, that was a really lovely, and he was like, oh, I want my goddaughter to be in the photograph with me. And like, that's that's a really lovely moment. But I, on the flip side, if you wanted to be cynical, Willem Alexander hugs everyone. Um, he's a big <laughs> hugger, it seems. Uh, I really want a hug from him. Um, and he could have just been putting it on so that he looks good for the cameras, you know, and in private, he might have spat in Estelle's face. Don't think he did, I know, you never know. <laughs> and then there's also like examples I think of, of like, they are official things, but they didn't have to be done. They were voluntary. So, you know, a state visit is something that you have to do really because you've been asked to do it by the government. Whereas um, I was thinking of the heirs to the Scandinavian monarchies, Victoria, Frederick and Hakon, who did an expedition to the North Pole. What's, what's the, which one's the North Pole? Is that Arctic? The Arctic. The Arctic. They did an Arctic expedition and they did it as a three of the three of them. They went up and it was sort of like a climate change type thing. And like, if they'd hated each other, they didn't have to do that. Nobody in the government requested that they did it. They did it because they share this interest and because they like each other. And they did like a documentary um, associated with it where you got to see them like making fun of each other, like like siblings, they, they have a very sibling kind of relationship. So I do think that sometimes you can tell that there's warmth there. Yeah. And I think, you know, you. I mean, I fully invented this entire best friendship between Kate and King Felipe of Spain, mm. purely based on a picture of him smiling at her just before the coronation. <laughs> Felipe doesn't smile that much they must be best friends and I'm now solidly on this sort of thought train that you know behind the scenes that they are just like like oh guess what my weird family's done today Mm -hmm. like oh you think my your family's weird look what mine's doing yeah who's been arrested in your family (laughs) yeah no one's arrested mine was nearly arrested but yours actually was arrested yeah (laughs) seeing a big smile it felt like oh that's a genuine yeah moment and I think you know I always see it with the Scandinavian, when you get the heirs, when you get Victoria, Hakon and Frederick together, you know, like you said, there are these real moments where you're like, actually, they're, you know, they're teasing each other, they're making yeah, in jokes, yeah. like, they have that relationship that you have with your friends. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is probably bias of like, I want Victoria and Kate to be friends, so I'm more likely to pick up on things. Like, uh, my friend Laura pointed out that every time Kate has been public on the 14th of July, which is Victoria's birthday, since the visit to Sweden uh, that William and Kate did, she has worn earrings by a Swedish designer. And so I am taking that as confirming my harmless conspiracy theory that they are best friends with each other and that it's a secret subtle nod to Victoria to say happy birthday. It probably isn't, she probably just likes the earrings and it was coincidental and it's only happened like twice anyway. So it probably wasn't a big deal. But yeah, I think sometimes you might be looking for something and so you pick up on things and are like, oh, well, they must be best friends because I want them to be best friends and this, this proves it. Um, <laughs> But there are, I think, the the area that 
maybe is more helpful to decide whether or not people actually are good friends and what their actual relationship with this is with each other is kind of the private stuff and sometimes the private stuff can spill out into the public I'm thinking of like we all know that the relationship between the Spanish royal family and the Greeks is not very good um and that's because <laughs> some members of the Greek royal family went on Twitter and badmouthed each um members of the Spanish royal family um so they they took a pub a private family issue and, and made it a public thing so sometimes there is this blur but I think that the sort of not necessarily always private the sort of personal um thing is where you sort of start to see some of those more authentic connections arguably and I so I think like I know this is another area where you've got a long list of things um mm -hmm. but like the choice of godparents is a, is sometimes a good indicator of like who does this royal consider to be a friend and not just a colleague yeah and I think you know it's really with the godparent thing it's a really it's actually a, an initial balance between you know wanting a royal godparent and also picking a friend and I think you know Poria choosing Mary over Frederick for Estelle was a sign of friendship because you get someone say for example Prince Constantine Alexios of Greece, who has so many royal godparents, like King Felipe of Spain, um, Prince William, Crown Princess Victoria, um, so many others. Like he is like the most of the current like people alive. He probably has the most royal godparents, <laughs> and you know he's he's Greek for a start, so he's never going to be like a monarch. It's not you know, and I don't also I don't think that the Greek royal family as massively close with William Felipe you know Felipe is probably a bit different because they are related but Victoria mm -hmm. and Frederick question mark you know I'm sure they get on I'm sure they were all very excited but William was 16 when that happened yeah yeah you know, he, they, he couldn't he wasn't a loving ro role model he was a future king of England of the UK that's why he was chosen 100%. some of it is family and friendships and I think if you look you can always pick out the ones that are non-royal it's really good evidence mm -hmm. of that I'm like Edwina Hicks is Queen's mm -hmm. goddaughter, and then her children are Charles's godchildren, and there's a family link. But then I also think, you know, you end up with those sort of genuine friendships. And Brits obviously are the Brits, and they only ever seem to be godparents to Greek people and also extinct royalties. A lot of Yugoslavians in there. Don't even know yeah. Yugoslavia's country anymore. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Sorry if it is to all the Yugoslavians. Sorry about that, Yugoslavia. I don't know. It's not in Eurovision, so. <laughs> But then you had like these really weird connections. So, you know, you obviously you have the Swedish royals are all godparents to each other's children. Mm -hmm. But then they also have, you know, like Frederick of Denmark is godfather to Oscar and yeah. to Ingrid Alexandra. Whereas Mary is godparent to Estelle, but also mm -hmm. to her nephew Enrique. And there's a real connection. Then you get these sort of odd outliers like Crown Prince Pavlos of Greece is also godparent to Prince Christian and Prince Fair Magnus. And yeah. I'm like, oh, is there a genuine friendship between Hakon and Pavlos to make him godparent to Sver, like to, to Magnus? Like, is that a, was, where's that connect? Isn't Prince Edward a godparent to one of Joachim of Denmark's yes, children? He is. And it's like, and I was finding really weird connections, like, you know, like Queen Anne Marie of Spain is like, of Spain, Spain? Of Greece. Greece. Like she's obviously she's godparent to Frederick and also to like Gustav. Mm -hmm. But then like Prince, you know, like Alexandra of Denmark is to Maud Ben. Like, <laughs> like they're they're all the same level, you know. I was like, where are some of these bizarre connections coming from? And yeah. you know, like Maxima 
doesn't have many royal godchildren mm. considering you know she's so like it's, it's magnus like prince magnus of norway that's her yeah. royal godchild whereas you know you get people like matilde who has got princess alexia of the netherlands and also yeah. princess isabella of denmark and there's yeah. like people you wouldn't expect and i think that probably speaks to more of a friendship than you'd know because i wouldn't have gone oh you know who's definitely going to have a royal godchild Princess Alexia of Greece and Denmark is going to be the godparent to Princess Isabella of Denmark and Emma Ben. That would never have occurred to me. So there must be a relationship between the Danish royals, obviously, and the Norwegian royals and the Greek royals that I don't know about. So I brought up godparents as being an example, something that is potentially an indicator that they actually do like each other and that it's not just a, an official job thing. <laughs> but I do think that it is, to play devil's advocate to my own point, um, it is like context dependent. So I think I had also got the example of Constantine Alexius of Greece and the fact that William was chosen <laughs> when he was like a child himself. And maybe this is biased because I don't particularly like Marie Chantal and Pavlos, but um, there is absolutely no way that they were good friends with William and were like, we for all of our friends, we want to pick Prince William to be the godparent to our child. They chose him because he was popular, young, famous, and a future king. That's why they chose him, and there is nothing that can, will convince me otherwise. I'm sorry, I don't think we've even seen William with a Constantine Alexius in like yeah. the last 25 years or however long it's been. Uh, we haven't seen them together. So that I don't buy that they are really close friends. Um, but then I think that you can see sort of patterns develop and things and like Victoria, Crown Princess Victoria is, she's sort of inherited the title that we mentioned with Victoria and Christian. And she is known as the godmother of Europe because she is a godparent to Ingrid Alexandra of Norway, Christian of Denmark, um, Amalia of the Netherlands, um, one of the, Bel not the heir to the throne of Belgium, but uh, Eleanor, the one of the younger children. And like she was chosen one of the random royals. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> Well, like Serbia or somewhere, she was chosen yeah, to be, Serbian. yeah, she was chosen to be a really important part of their wedding. So Victoria must just be really, really friendly to everyone and be friends with everyone. Because if you were just doing a thing where you're like, you had to pick a royal, you'd probably diversify a bit more, I feel like. But the fact that so many people pick Victoria, to me, suggests that a lot of people do genuinely consider her to be a friend. And like that doesn't surprise me, not just because I'm biased because I like her, but if you remember her wedding all of like the royal women who were there, Maxima and Metamarit and Mary, were all weeping with joy at, at Victoria. <laughs> and I've never seen them do that at any other royal wedding. Um, there might be like a little tear Metamarit cries all the time. It, they, the, it was like proper weeping with joy that they, you know, and you don't do that if you just are work colleagues. Um, yeah, that's just, unless you're Metamarit, you don't cry just at your work colleague getting married. It's so, I think that that's an indication that actually lots of people do really like Victoria. And as you say, some of these like more odd connections, I mean, like the Danish one, I genuinely do not know how Joachim knows Prince Edward. I've never seen them <laughs> together, I don't think. I don't know how they know each other. But if he was going to choose somebody who he wanted just because he wanted a, an important fancy British royal, why would he pick Edward? No offence to Edward, <laughs> but why would he pick him? He must know him. So I think it's context dependent as to like whether being a godparent is actually an indicator of whether or not they're French friends. Because the Brits seem to have this approach of like, we're going to pick friends. Other royal families do tend to pick other royals. And I, I, there, you could argue that that's because they share a similar role. And so as a godparent, you're meant to be like a, a guide, a moral guide. I'm a godparent, even though I'm an atheist. I'm a godparent to multiple children. <laughs> um, and you're supposed to be like a moral guide for the child. And I think that it, arguably it makes sense that the moral guide would be somebody who is older than you and is doing the job that you're one day going to do, which is a very important job. 
So you could argue that, yeah, it's just something that's chosen because of formality. But I, I think you can see that there are lots of cases where that probably isn't true. Like they probably did choose people because of their job, but also because they are genuinely friends with each other. I also think another thing is like going on private holidays together. So like we know yeah. that I've seen photographs of the Norwegian and Swedish royal family at a petrol station um, together, going on holiday together. And like, we know, so we know that they holiday together privately. You don't do that with somebody just because you have the same job. Yeah, I always think of, you know, Spain and the UK, I think, mm-hmm. and Greece. Mm-hmm. I think in the 80s and 90s, there were loads of pictures of them all holidaying together. Yeah. You know, like the the Greek royal family, um, the Spanish and the um, British royal family. And I think you could see, I think, oh, I always think the British god who, who the british people choose as god parents and who they are god parents of is an indicator because like you said they tend to pick friends like even if you go back to the queen and charles they are god parents to their friends but then you get someone like juan carlos who is you know and quit and king constantine who are god parents to william mm-hmm. um and you know there is a friendship there i think but then we don't see those holidays anymore um and maybe it's because you know they're more hidden or maybe it's because that friendship was between Charles and Diana and Juan Carlos and Sofia not between Britain and Spain and I think you know those kind of public holidays are a good indicator because you don't need to go on a public on a holiday with someone you don't like like there is no real requirement to go on holiday with these people yeah yeah for sure I suppose the last point, we've talked about kind of how these friendships develop. Um, We've talked about how you might notice them and whether or not you can tell if somebody's genuinely friends or whether or not they're just getting on with each other because that's their job. And so our final kind of question that we wanted to think about was, does it actually matter if any of these people like each other? And I have kind of two views on this. So one, I'm going to use my catchphrase, which I haven't actually used in quite a while, so... I'm glad I'm bringing it back, which is being a royal is a job. Most of us have people at work that we don't like. Um, And as long as we can be civil with each other, that's the most important thing. And so part of me is like, as long as the royals can be civil with each other in public and do their job, I don't actually mind if they get on with each other. They don't need to be going on holiday with each other. And it kind of reminded me of when Constantine died, King Constantine of Greece, and there was a huge drama about um, Prince William not going to the funeral because he was Constantine's godson. And I thought at the time that that was absolutely ridiculous. Because Constantine's funeral, although it was public, he was not the king of Greece and hadn't been for a very long time. The Greek people had gotten rid of him. He was just a guy. Um, and so whether or not William chose to go to his funeral, like maybe it was a really horrible thing and Anne-Marie hates him and is really angry at him, but that's her business. And so until she says that, I don't think it's any of our place to decide whether it was appropriate. We don't know if William reached out privately and said, I'm sorry, I can't come, but I, you know, I'm here if you ever need to call me. We don't know what happened between them. And it doesn't matter to me because it's a private thing. And that's my attitude with a lot of stuff, like with all this Harry and William stuff and the drama between all of that. And like, even before Harry and Meghan left, like the whole do the Willi- uh, do Meghan and Kate get on with each other. And all oh, there's this fight between like, who cares? I pay them to do a <laughs> job. And that job is to go out and smile and, and cut ribbons and be nice to each other in public. Whether they like each other in private has got absolutely nothing to do with me. I like to imagine all royals are besties, but logically in my brain, they're probably not. They're just yeah. work colleagues who yeah. get on. And, you know, when you see them, they're doing something fun. So, of course, they're going to be smiling and having a nice time. Yeah. You know, and I think 
you know, I I don't like. I think you were right. I, I've always said I don't particularly care, you know, what royals do in their private time. And I think you know this is slightly off topic, but I remember with sort of Andrew and the Queen being like, I don't care if Elizabeth, a mother, you know, how her what her feelings are towards Andrew. That's got absolutely nothing to do with me because it's a it's a mother and son. But the Queen is a different matter because she's my public representative. Yeah. And I think the same thing goes here. Like I would be very upset if one day Victoria turned around and punched Kate. You know, <laughs> partly because I'm like, no, they're not besties. But also because like that's a bad sign. Like they're not doing their jobs. Clearly something's gone so horribly wrong that their job is no longer the most important thing for them. Yeah. Whereas, you know, seeing them together doing work, I'm very happy and I like to pretend they're best friends. But I'm also just happy to see them together doing what they're supposed to do because yeah. that's also quite nice. On the flip side of things, my other view is part of their job is to build relationships with other nations. And I do think that it is easier, as you kind of say, to do that if you actually like each other. And it's more enjoyable for us as as witnesses to be able to kind of see, oh, this cute moment between them where they gave each other a hug or um, where they mentioned each other in a speech. And I do think that it can also um, make royals seem elitist and um, kind of isolationist if they don't go. And it could potentially even reflect badly on a country. So the example that I, a lot of us are still very bitter about is uh, <laughs> uh, no, the fact that the British royal family didn't send any of their members to uh, the funeral of Queen Fabiola, who was Queen of Belgium. Um, and that's different from the King Constantine situation because Fabiola was a queen of the country and her funeral was a state funeral it was an official event so essentially an invitation would have been sent to the UK as it was to every other country or every other monarchy and while every other monarchy pretty much chose to send a member of their family as the representative the Brits were the only one who were like yeah I think they sent you know somebody from the uh, embassy or something some ambassador or something like that it does come off as rude and so I don't think anybody really outside of our fandom cares about it all that much. But if you think about a really beloved royal in another country, if like, I don't know, Margrethe died and the Brit and every other monarchy in the world sent a representative, but the British didn't, I do think that in Denmark, they might be like, oh, they're really standoffish. And I think that that's particularly relevant for us as Brits because um, we already are viewed because of Brexit and because we're geographically isolated, uh, we're already kind of viewed as being a bit snobby and standoffish and not really liking anybody else and nobody really likes us. Again, this is the third time I mentioned Eurovision, but um, <laughs> you know, nobody votes for us in Eurovision because they don't like us for lots of different reasons. Um, and so I think that it might not matter to people in the UK and it probably, you know, I don't think any Belgian people are upset about it really. I don't know, but I don't think they are. But I do think that there could come a time where if you don't put in the effort to build those relationships, it could backfire. So it's not that I think that it's, it's necessarily important for them to hang out with each other and be friends with each other. But I think if they don't, then it could potentially one day reflect badly on the country because the royals are the representatives of the country. <laughs> I think, no, I think you're exactly right. Like on one hand, I'm going to be very upset if I ever find out that King Felipe and Kate are not besties because <laughs> I've decided it. But on a more serious note, like, if you think about the, like, the 2010s European royal wedding bonanza, where there were so many, you know, royals getting married, and the Brits pretty much sent Edward and Sophie to all of them. Yeah. And there was a lot of, like, why aren't they sending Will and Kate? Why aren't they sending Will and Kate? And on one hand, I was like, they're sending a royal. It, it's not, 
it's it's obviously they've sent an invitation to either Edward and Sophie or to the British royal family, in which case they weren't asking for William and Kate who were not going. Like either Edward and Sophie have been specifically invited or it was just, we need a representative, can you send someone? Yeah. Um, so I it never particularly bothered me that they didn't go to these things. But sort of looking back, I can see why, you know, if every other royal family is sending your your monarch or your heir and I know Britain's a bit different because it has so many royals compared mm-hmm. to other royal families where they only are monarchs and heirs um you I can see why you know if you're looking at all these countries if you're looking at Sweden and Norway and Spain where you have royals mm-hmm. interacting all the time and going to each other's weddings and then they you know Edward and Sophie pop up for some weddings and one time it might be Charles and then one time it's William and Kate and they don't interact with the other royals you know they do look standoffish and you think well actually if I'm going to work with one of these countries to do something or if I want to work with the royal families of one of these countries to do something I'm not going to work with the Brits because they're a bit weird I'm going to go and work with the Norwegian royals who just seem to be lovely mm-hmm. um, and I think you know it it is a hard balance because a lot of the time when we see royals doing things it's it's for weddings and funerals which are mm-hmm. Even if they are state events, they're also family events. You don't know who's been invited. Like, was it a British royal family invitation or was it this specific royal? Because I like, you know, with Constantine's funeral, Anne went. Maybe it's because Anne and Constantine actually were friends and got on. And William was just a godchild for the sake of being a godchild. It doesn't it almost doesn't matter to people who are paying attention, who are watching. Because we don't know if Anne and Constantine are friends, but we also don't know if William and Constantine were friends. We don't know those relationships. So if you know I can I understand why it is a bad look for royals to not then attend these things and also like you said it's just nice to see royals getting on like there's a reason why those Scandinavian trio engagements are always lovely it's because it's nice to see them and they get on and it's clear there's a reason why even though I paid absolutely no attention to the Spelgian Dutch visit (laughs) I am fully aware that Maxima and Matilde were hanging out time because everything I saw about it was them hugging or them like calling each other or chatting because it was a genuine warmth between them and you know that's what stands out to me and when I if I ever think back to that state visit it's going to be ah Max and Matilda were getting on so well not wasn't that a great political visit that they did I didn't know what they did yeah I didn't know Hello, it's Jessica from the future speaking to you. Um, We had some technical issues when we were recording the end of the podcast. Um, So I've had to re-record it. So it's just me, no grace. Um, So it's goodbye from me, Jessica. And it's goodbye from Grace. Uh, I don't know how to do her accent. Goodbye. (laughs)